Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the No Recipe Required podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Taylor. Every week, I interview someone and talk about something having to do with cooking or baking or wine um, or anything revolving around food. This week, I have an older interview that I recorded back in the fall and I for some reason it just fell off my radar to post it so um, going kind of back into the vault a little bit from like October I think I recorded this episode uh, with my friend and fellow podcaster Carolyn Hillier. Carolyn has a podcast of her own called Chili Bakes Gluten Free. She also has an Instagram account at Chili Bakes GF where uh, she posts all kinds of recipes and walks people through how to create really yummy baked goods that are gluten-free. So for those of you who have eliminated gluten in your diets for whatever reason, um, she's a really great resource and um, she's got a really soothing, comforting kind of voice. Like those of you who are into ASMR, um, she's got this kind of voice. It's like, oh yeah, I can listen to this voice all day long. Anyway, so please enjoy uh, my conversation with Carolyn about gluten-free baking. Welcome everyone to another episode of the No Recipe Required podcast. This week I am speaking with Carolyn Hillier, who is known on Instagram as um, Chili Bakes GF, which means Carolyn Bakes Gluten-Free, which is not really a forte of mine, which is why I have her on the podcast this week. So welcome to the podcast, Carolyn. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. It's an honor to be here. Where in the world are we finding you? Well, I'm in Indianapolis proper at the moment. Okay. So Indianapolis sort of in the Midwest of the U.S. Um, and uh, what is Indianapolis known for? Is it famous for anything? Yes, the Indianapolis 500. Oh, right. And of course. <laughs> it's. I think it's also called the Circle Silicon. I can't speak today. The Circle City, because one of the main freeways or the crossroads of America is, is sort of like a circle around Indianapolis proper. Okay. I'm a new resident, fairly new resident as of 2020. So I'm sort of figuring things out too. You're just, just kind of learning the city and that. Yes. Right? Okay. <laughs> um, so where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Indianapolis? No, I'm a California native. Okay. I, yeah, I was born in San Diego, grew up in Santa Barbara, California, went to college in Central Coast, San Luis Obispo, the wine country area, Paso yeah. Robles around there. And then I was in the Bay Area for a long time till 2020. Okay. And now back now in Indianapolis. Yes. Uh, so tell me about um, gluten-free baking. What, what got you started uh, doing the baking gluten-free? I don't think anyone wants to bake gluten-free. That's such a good <laughs> question. Because seriously, it just makes things harder you know, when you go out to eat, if you're trying to eat gluten-free, you go somewhere to get a sandwich and often you're just eating the middle, which is, is not all that satisfying. So like I would say almost anyone, um, I didn't want to be gluten-free at about 37. I distinctly remember trick-or-treating with my kids and being out and just being doubled over all the time. I thought, what is going on? You know, I thought maybe it was just the usual crazy business that sometimes happens. And then it just, I felt like I was feeling terrible all the time. And at, at, I guess about five years earlier, my mom had been battling cancer and she'd stopped eating wheat. And she said, you know, I stopped eating wheat and I stopped having these pains. And I thought, you know, could it be wheat? I just didn't know. And so at that point I started to eliminate wheat out of my diet and I stopped having those difficulties. 
which was great that I figured it out. The bad part is I've been a baker since I was about eight. And so I have, I literally have a file folder that's just dog-eared and crazy and I have kid writing in there. And, you know, there's recipes from my life from eight years old to my late thirties and they were all wheat-based mostly. There's some regular recipes, but all of, a lot of it was baking. And that's been my passion. I love to bake. I, that was my happy place in high school. Literally every Friday or Saturday night, I was home baking. It says a lot about my social life, but <laughs> you know, that was, that was what I did. And so now I'm stuck with how do I bake, bake without wheat? Um, right. So in your case, it was out of necessity. It wasn't like, oh, you know, you want to jump on a bandwagon or a fad or whatever about gluten-free baking. It was like, you really needed to do this for your health. I did need to do it for my health. And, um, you know, the bandwagon, I feel like it came later than that age. At that point, people just thought you were crazy. They're like, why can't you eat wheat? It's not really a choice anyone wants to make. Right. And I don't know that gluten-free, I think it helps. I'm not a doctor, first of all. It may help certain conditions, or maybe there's some diets, you know, besides being celiac, where you can't eat wheat, but but eating gluten-free goods does not necessarily mean it's healthful. It doesn't have gluten in it. It's still a treat. Baking should always, it is a treat. Right. So let's back up for a second. And uh, for people who might not know, what exactly is gluten? And why are we trying, or why are you trying to eliminate it in your baking? So gluten is a, gosh, I hope I'm not mistaken, is a protein in wheat. And it's what gives French bread the chew and pizza crust and all those yummy baked goods that yummy toothsomeness that we we love or that I love gosh and um but if you have a sensitivity to it that that causes issues usually intestinal issues or something else or sometimes people have allergies and so that's why I'm avo- I'm trying to avoid it um for those reasons okay so yeah so gluten is the thing that and I think you kind of alluded to this a little bit as like what makes all those baked goods just taste and feel so great. It gives, you know, bread that stretchiness, like all that, you know, which you don't typically want to have when you're baking pie crust, you want to try to avoid developing the gluten in the, in the wheat. So I think my understanding is when you add water to wheat, that is what creates gluten. It's the addition of the water to the, to the flour that, and when you start working the dough it develops the gluten and and the protein in the uh in the flour turns into gluten Um, and like you said some people have a sensitivity to it or an allergy or and i think it's like one percent of the population has celiac disease that makes it you know very serious for them if they were to come in contact with gluten a friend of mine's uh, mother um, she couldn't even be in a room where there was flour in the air because just breathing it in would um, would cause her to react to that. So she was like super, super sensitive to um, to flour and, and gluten that way. So wow. um, so tell me about what some of the challenges are baking gluten free. So you said you had that big recipe box, uh, recipe folder, and everything in there was all uh, fantastic recipe, wheat based recipes. What were the challenges when you decided to, uh, to start um, baking gluten free? That's such a good question, Leslie. Um, I had no idea that you couldn't just substitute other flour, you know, I, I for gluten or wheat flour. So going into this, I thought, well, just buy a gluten-free flour. That's fine. (laughs) It's not that simple because 
gluten-free flour isn't one thing. Where wheat flour is ground wheat. It's a certain kind of wheat. Usually there's, you know, you all-purpose flour is a certain amount of hard wheat. I think it's soft wheat. And so there's a different protein content. If you have um, like cake flour, there's cornstarch in it. So it's less, I want to say proteinaceous. And it's, it's gives you a more of a cakey texture, right? And then there's bread flour, which is higher protein content, mm -hmm. but it's still all wheat. Well, except for the cornstarch in the cake flour. When you get to gluten-free flours, it's a free-for-all. I mean, you look at the box and it'll say, um, some of them are uh, cornstarch based, some of them are different rices, some of them have tapioca starch, some of them have sorghum. It's, it's all a different formulation. So you can't just go out and grab something on the shelf and say, well, this I'm gonna substitute this one for one. It doesn't work well. Right, so you, have you tr you've tried multiple different brands of gluten-free flour and combinations of things? Like, do you ever make your own blend or do you just, you found one brand that you really like and you just grab that one and go with it? I, I've done both those things. So I, or all those things, I've tried multiple brands and my favorite brand is called Cup for Cup, multi-purpose gluten-free flour. It was developed by a chef, Thomas, and his name is eluding me from, I think French Laundry in Northern California. So he's an amazing uh, baker. And it, this flour for me works really well. I do modify it a little bit, but it's really good for muffins and pancakes and cookies, quick breads, all that stuff that not yeast bread, that's a whole, yeast bread's another animal. I really, honestly, I haven't delved as much. I, done, I did a few very sad forays into yeast uh, breads and I didn't, I just kind of put that away and I just focused on the things more that my kids and I wanted to eat. Um, so cup for cup flour is a, is a really good flour for those type of baked goods. I tried making my own mixes. You know, I bought these cookbooks and I thought, oh my gosh, these things look amazing and they just weren't good. I, I, I haven't found someone's flower brand. Now, if I find one, I would love to promote it and try it out. King Arthur flower I did use for a pie crust, which turned out well, um, pretty well. I still like, would like to tweak it, but it, it's sort of, it's such a process of trial and error, which is so frustrating. I mean, you go through all this effort, you make something and you, you expect to get you know, I'm a good baker. I expect to get a result that everyone's excited to eat. And then you get something, I don't want to eat it. My kids don't want to eat it. And then it goes in the garbage and, and it's wasteful, which, you know, just about kills me. I hate to waste stuff. Wasteful and expensive. Yeah. Right. Oh because I'm sure the ingredients that go into um, making it are like all the raw you know, different kinds of flowers, the rice flowers and sorghum flowers and all of those, you know, arrowroot and all of that is not inexpensive. And so you, you know, make a blend or you buy a, a, a gluten-free flour mix and then it doesn't turn out, you know, you've kind of wasted all that money as well, right? Yes, money, time. Um, yeah, they, all that stuff gets expensive. Gluten-free flour in itself is not cheap, but when you buy gluten-free goods that are already baked. They're not cheap either. And often they're not worth eating. Right. I think, I mean, I, because I don't, there's nobody in my life who uh, like immediately in my life who requires um, to me to be gluten-free with any of the baking that I do. Um, I, I'm not as aware of what goes into baking gluten-free. I have made a few things in the past, 
Um, and probably it wasn't even on my radar screen for a really long time, but now it seems like there's lots and lots of gluten-free options or that things are being labeled as being gluten-free was they probably never were before. Do you find it's easier now to cook and bake gluten-free uh, than it was when you first started or when you first realized that you had to eliminate it? I find that there's a lot more ready-made gluten-free stuff. And there are some really good brands that I'm excited to use because I don't always bake everything. Most of the cookies, muffins, whatever I bake, but it's nice to know you can go to the store and get certain things. As far as flours, I really haven't found mixes or anything like that, that I thought, Ooh, this is an amazing step forward. So yeah. it's unfortunate. What have you found has been, um, uh, the, like maybe the best or easiest swap that you've made in terms of your gluten-free baking? In terms of swap, do you mean for flour? Yeah, yeah. So the, um, well, I do two things. I use the cup for cup flour I talked about right. before, which is, I think it's Thomas Keller is his name. Okay. And that's- the I've one heard that works. name before. I don't know where I know that name from, but I have heard that name. Yeah, he's extremely well-known and he's this amazing chef in Napa Valley, I believe. Oh, okay, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's where I know him from. Somewhere okay. in Northern California. Yeah. Um, so I use that and then I add something that's called, I use a sweet rice flour, um, which is different than regular rice flour. They use it in mochi. Have you ever had mochi desserts that are a Japanese dessert? I haven't, but I've heard of it. Yeah. So mochi, it's mochi flour. So I, I get the stuff that's super finely ground. It's from Kota Farms. It comes in a little box. You can get it on the internet if you don't have a grocery that carries it. And I end up adding like a teaspoon, sometimes more, sometimes less. And it gives things a little bit of that moist chew. You know, mochi as a candy or not a candy, as a, a treat is, is chewy. The rice, that rice flour is really chewy. It doesn't have that grittiness and the brittle riciness like a rice cracker. It has a nice, I don't know, it's a nice substitute for some of that wheat chew. So I end up adding that to the cup for cup flour and that seems to work pretty well. Okay. And gives, like you said, that chewiness that you you would lose because you don't have the gluten in the, in the flour. Yeah. And if you don't want, like I'll use that in, in breads and scones and stuff like that. If I actually want more chew, then there's xanthan gum, which is, um, I can't remember what it is, but it's this weird little. Yeah. I've heard of it and I've seen it at the bulk food store and it has a very chemical sounding name, but I'm sure it's not really a chemical type of thing, but it just, uh, I, I know that it's a really popular ingredient in, in gluten-free baking. Yeah. And that'll make things with the chew. So if I was making a cookie that needed some extra chew, most of the flour blends have some in it, but you can yeah. always add some more in. Okay. Okay. What is, um, what's an easy gluten-free recipe you have that you can share with listeners something or, or gluten-free tips. So if somebody, um, you know, maybe they, if somebody is already eating gluten-free, they probably already know where to get the foods that they need. Either they're going to bake them from scratch themselves, or they know where they can buy the things that they want or they like. But for somebody like me who doesn't have to eat gluten-free, um, if I were to have someone in my life who needed to be gluten-free, what would be something that I could make for them um, or make easily for them that, uh, that would not have gluten in it? some type of baked good. Yeah, if you were, I mean, it's the holidays, so let's talk about pumpkin pie, which is easily made in a ramekin. You could make them as an individual dessert. 
without the crust at all. And since it's a custard, it's, it's really good. You put whipped cream on it, you're really not going to miss the crust. And, you know, you could make your regular recipe for pie. You could even take some out for your ramekin of the recipe you had. Your other pie would be a little shorter, might have to cook it a little less time, but you could have something for someone who's gluten-free or, you know, I mean, you could make a cheesecake too, but that's a lot harder. So if you're already making pumpkin pie, it's a really easy swap. Um, right. And then, those. and I think, I would think that in thing, other kinds of thickening agents, you know, I mean, if I make gravy, I'm usually using flour, but I suppose you could use cornstarch or arrowroot flour or something like that to, uh, to thicken up your gravy. Yeah. I'm going to use potato starch. Oh, okay. Cause that come in a powder. Always- yeah, yeah, like uh, Bob's Red Mills, one yeah. brand that has potato starch. I, I baked a turkey like a crazy person a few days ago. I, I know it's a Thanksgiving's coming out, but it was on sale. And the cheap person in me is like, oh, this is so cheap. And I it's thawed, so let's make it. So I made a, a maked, I made a 13-pound turkey. And I made gravy with potato starch, which seemed to work out quite nicely. Okay. And so it gets nice and thick and tastes just yeah. like regular gravy. And nobody knows any different. I didn't see any difference there at all. Okay. So it was good. I, I have tried to use cornstarch, but it has a different, you know, cornstarch, you don't usually use it in gravy. I grew up making a roux with, you take the pan, you drip, take the drippings out, most of them, right? And then you put it over the fire and scrape them out with the flour. That's like yeah. my grandma and my mother yeah, made Yeah, that's how I make it. <laughs> right. So for potato starch, I didn't have that many drippings to do this way. So what I did do was um, I made a slurry first, which is the better way to do it um, with the corn, no, potato starch. And then you could have uh, loosened the scraps, added gravy, you know, added your broth to make gravy. Yeah. And then add it as a slurry. Right. Yeah. That's what I do with cornstarch. I notice, I don't know if it's the same with the potato starch, but when I thicken something up with cornstarch, the liquid comes out almost like translucent's not really the right word, but a gravy made with flour or when something's thickened with flour is quite opaque. Whereas when you thicken a sauce with cornstarch, it's more clear, like it's not quite as opaque. So would you say potato starch gives that kind of a an outcome is it it's more like cornstarch that way is it clear or is it cloudy like like flour would be in gravy i want to say it's somewhere in in the middle okay i feel like it's a little cloudier than cornstarch because it doesn't get i could be making this up you know (laughs) it doesn't get as goopy like i find that cornstarch makes things if you use especially if you use too much makes things very goopy in a way um so it's funny if i'm making like a stir fry so something sort of asian inspired or whatever i typically will thicken that sauce with cornstarch like a slurry of cornstarch and water and throw that in and it comes up to a boil next thing you know you have a nice sort of luscious sort of sauce for whatever whatever it is that you're making whereas if i'm making something like a stew I always use flour to thicken it. Um, like you said, like a roux to thicken it and it ends up being, I don't know, it's, it's thick, but it, it's not, doesn't seem as, um, gummy. gummy. Yeah. I guess that's, that's the word. Yeah. It's not as gummy, but it's, I guess it's just because that's what I'm used to, right? I'm used to one type of sauce or one type of thickening for a gravy, whereas another for like an Asian type sauce, I think of it as being, more clear, I guess, for lack of a better word. I can't really think of a better way to describe it than 
clear or translucent or something like that. I can't can't think of another example. Yeah, I um, agree with you. So you, you mentioned earlier, you talked about how when you make something gluten-free, if your kids don't like it, it's like, well, I'm not going to make that again. And it's like a big waste. So do your kids eat gluten-free just simply because you eat gluten-free? They do. And, and this is the, the best part. This is part of the reason why I'm doing a podcast, because I can't tell you the many times my kids said, mom, you can't tell this gluten-free mom, you have no, you have no idea. I've had a gluten-free thing out and it was terrible. You don't, I can't tell with your baked goods that it's gluten-free over and over. Mom, you should do a bakery. Mom, you should do a bakery. It's like, okay, well, there's a lot to a bakery that I didn't want to do, but I would love to share. I mean, baking with your kids, for me, it was such a, I don't know, it was a great creative experience. It was so fun. And then you get something amazing to eat at the end. So they were, they're happy to eat gluten-free. Mm-hmm. And how old are they? Uh, my son is almost 22 and my daughter's 24. Okay. So they're not kids anymore. No, but they were. Okay. Yeah. So when they were younger, um, you know, that, because that's just how you baked because it's what, you know, you needed. And if you wanted to eat the stuff, you needed to make it in a way that you could eat it. Right. Yeah. And I switched over fairly. I mean, there were a few, a few flubs for sure. Um, but, but fairly easily. And they never say, I wish you'd make the old stuff, which is such a compliment. Yeah, definitely. Because kids can be really hard to please. Yes. Um, so you mentioned your podcast. Tell me about that. Thank you. Um, yes, my podcast is called Chili Bakes Gluten-Free, as you might have guessed. Um, and it's about me baking gluten-free. So it's me going through my recipes, baking in the kitchen. It's like hanging out with a friend. Right. So I'm chattering and cooking and talking about how I transform the recipe or what's going on. Kind of like having a gluten-free baking buddy. So if you were to come over and bake in my kitchen, this is what it would be like. Okay. So is it like you, if I were to listen to that, it would just be you talking in my ear and walking me through how to make something gluten-free? Yes. Okay. So yeah, you need to then go live for sure on Instagram from time to time. Um, it's, It's really funny because I think people have their preferred mode. Like some people are glued to their phones and they just love looking like, I get into these modes where I'm like flipping through Instagram, scrolling through Instagram. And, you know, I've got certain accounts that I follow that are just all about food and wine and baking and cooking and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and so it's, it can be relaxing to see all these pretty pictures. And every once in a while, somebody posts a video showing how they make something, which is really cool, but it's a very visual thing. Like you're sitting there at your phone and you're looking at a thing and you need to pay attention. And it's kind of hard to follow all the time. Whereas with a podcast, when you've got somebody talking at you in your ear, you can be listening while you're out on a walk or while you're driving in the car, while you're cooking in the kitchen or doing other things, folding the laundry, which you can't really do that with something like Instagram, right? Instagram, you kind of have to be looking at your phone and can't really be doing anything else while you're looking at your phone. So that's why I'm intrigued by the idea of like having you talk us through, um, you know, how you would bake something on your podcast. And then that way we can download it and listen to it while we're doing something else instead of being glued to like looking at an Instagram page or something like that. I'm glad that sounds appealing to you. I I hope it's helpful to people and I'll I'll put the recipe it's in the show notes. And so then you could go back later and 
because you know listening to someone I don't expect people to write things down that's kind of a pain in the butt and it, it's nice to kind of know where your recipe's going yeah which I appreciate yeah and hopefully people will learn something and not be so afraid to try gluten-free and worry that they're going to have some awful outcome right right and so has your podcast gone live yet it goes live December 5th. There's a trailer out and a special ingredient episode. You're okay. talking about the stuff we talked about, my favorite flour, the yep. um, sweet rice flour, there's almond flour that I use sometimes. And yeah. Okay. And how often will episodes come out? They'll come out the first and the third uh, Sunday of the month. First and third Sunday of the month. Okay. So twice a month and it's called Chili Bakes Gluten-Free available on all the podcast platforms. It's on Apple podcast, Google podcast, and also Spotify Okay. at the moment. All right. It's probably in the other places too, but to be honest, I don't know anyone who listens on any other platform than those three, Apple being the most popular one. I'm not an Apple person, but I know most people are uh, usually listen to podcasts on Apple. I'm kind of halfway on Google and halfway on, on uh, Spotify in terms of where I listen to podcasts. So. Um, anyway, it's been a pleasure to have you on the, uh, on the show this week, and I hope everybody will go and listen to Carolyn's podcast when it comes out on December 5th, um, and, uh, and continue to follow her both on Instagram and subscribe to her podcast, subscribe to my podcast as well. Um, and I'm always happy to talk to other people who are into cooking and baking because, it's, uh, it's what I love. So Carolyn, thank you very much uh, for participating in the podcast this week. Thank you so much, Leslie, for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to chat with you and hopefully, you know, I can help some people. I love scrolling through your Instagram. It's such a, um, well, it's a hungry feed for sure. Cause I always think, Oh, I should be making that. And you really are such an inspiration and I can um, I relate to how you cook, you know, there, I found some tomatoes in the back of my, fridge and I didn't <laughs> want to waste them. It's like, yes, you know, use everything you can. It's such a great feeling to be, um, eat well, be frugal and be creative. What a good combo that you have in there. Yeah. So Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Nice to have the mutual admiration society. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thanks again. Okay. Bye-bye. My thanks again to Carolyn for sharing her gluten-free baking expertise with us this week. Um, I certainly learned a few things because I'm not a gluten-free baker myself. That said, I did create a gluten-free chocolate cake once, or baked one, didn't create the recipe myself, um, using quinoa as the main um, ingredient. So I'm going to dig that one out and post that in the show notes in case anybody's interested in a chocolate uh, quinoa cake that doesn't really tastes like it's got quinoa in it. Anyway, it's fantastic. So I will post the recipe for that in the show notes for this. Please do follow Carolyn um, at Chili Bakes GF on Instagram, and please subscribe and listen and rate and review and all of that. Her podcast, which uh, launched uh, back in December, called uh, Chili Bakes Gluten Free on all the different platforms. So until next week, keep on cooking.